Chapter 5 Vienna The slate-gray sky grew lighter as Emma made her way to Karl Moxhof. To her relief, the beloved fortress was still standing, though gravely wounded and shell-pocked. Dust filled her lungs as her eyes scanned the acres of debris. Everywhere people were on their knees, searching through the rubble of concrete, bricks and glass, for rescuable remnants of their lives. Here a blanket covered with plaster dust, there a three-legged chair. The ground crackled and crunched as she stepped on photographs, barely identifiable under shattered glass. Damn Dolphus. In the distance, Emma heard the wail of sirens as she spotted two men carrying a stretcher, with a body so small it could only have been a child. Her heart racing, she ran toward them. Where are you taking him? Where are the others? she asked, her voice hoarse from the dust. Ask the police, they shouted back as they turned the corner. Where? she said, too late for them to hear. Hoevarte Station, an old woman said, pointing the way. That's where those people are going, though the pigs there won't tell you anything. Emma pushed her way through the crowds to the police station, only to find another throng of people overflowing the steps leading to the front doors, some desperately seeking loved ones, others begging for shelter. Pressed together, the mass inched up the steps so slowly that it was almost eleven by the time Emma got inside. She filled out a form and handed it to the officer in charge. Are you a family member? he asked without looking at her, his voice tired. Fiancé, he waved her aside. That's not enough. I can't give you any information. Please, I just want to know if he's alive. Move along, Fräulein. You are not the only one here. The woman behind her pushed her out of the way, muttering that she had been waiting all morning, a spot immediately filled by the person behind her. Despondent, Emma wove her way back out through the ever-increasing horde and walked until she found a post office and an unoccupied phone. Every bone and muscle weary, she sat for a moment before she found the strength to dial Otto's number. Oh, thank God you answered. Have you had any news? No one will tell me anything. I don't know where else to look or whom to ask. She choked back her tears. Where are you? Still in Heiligenstadt, I think. I've walked around so much I'm not sure. Go back to Leonie's, please. Greta and Sophie are still there. I will call as soon as I know something. I promise you. Be strong, Emma. Exhausted, Emma reached Ungagasse mid-afternoon. Any news? She asked as soon as Leonie opened the door. Nothing yet. Come in. Otto told us you were in Heiligenstadt. Did you walk all this way? You must be frozen. Leonie removed Emma's shoes and rubbed her feet. I am. I don't think I could have walked another minute. I'll get you Yosef's slippers. Go sit down in the living room with Greta and the children, Leonie said. I'll get you a hot water bottle and some tea with rum. Greta made room for her on the sofa. The girls and I are having a tea party she said, as she draped a blanket around Emma's shoulders. The tightness in Emma's neck and shoulders slowly relaxed as she gazed down at Valerie, 
thoroughly absorbed in arranging a miniature tea set neatly on a napkin on the floor. With great seriousness, she poured imaginary tea into a tiny porcelain cup and handed it carefully to Sophie, who just as seriously raised the cup to her lips and pretended to drink it. Immeasurably comforted by the gentle innocence of the children's ceremony, Emma leaned back against the sofa's velvet cushions and closed her eyes. Her big, strong Teo was smart and brave. Nothing could happen to him. It was past six when the phone rang. Leonie rushed to answer. She nodded silently, her eyes filling with tears. Her hands trembled. She passed the phone to Emma. It's Otto. Oh, God. I'm sorry, Emma. Theo was arrested in Heiligenstadt. The hand tightened around the receiver. Thank God. She was overwhelmed by a feeling of such relief that she could barely stand. I could have stayed if they'd only told me. I'll go there now. No, Emma, he's not there. They took him to police headquarters. Then I'll go there. I have to see him. You don't understand. You can't. It's too late. It's only six o'clock, she said, trying desperately not to understand. They said he collapsed when they brought him in. He, he died two hours ago. They're lying, Otto. He's too young and strong. There were injuries. She doubled over as a spasm of pain radiated from her belly to her head. She squeezed the heels of her hands against her temples, trying to silence the screams in her head before they shattered her skull. It's my fault. I shouldn't have told him, she cried, now sobbing uncontrollably. Leonie took the receiver from her hand and whispered to Otto she would call him later. Told what to whom, Emma? What did you tell? She asked gently, her own tears falling silently as she stroked Emma's back. His name. I told him Teo's name. He hated socialists. He said he'd arrest us all if he could. It wasn't him, Emma. It was the artillery. That's who. It was not your fault. Leonie and Greta took turns sitting with her, trying to comfort her with their kindness, as the muscles in her belly contracted again. Pillows, sheets, and blankets magically appeared, transforming the sofa into a nest into which she burrowed. She could not stop shivering. She rolled herself into a ball and must have fallen asleep, for when she woke, she was alone and heard the clock strike three. As she tried to uncurl herself, her belly spasmed, the pain now radiating into her back. She breathed in and out slowly, but could not force the pain to subside. Bent over, her hands on her belly, she stumbled to the bathroom. As a wave of excruciating pain hit her, she felt a rush of something fluid or solid or both run down the inside of her thighs. She looked down, and seeing a puddle of blood, she must have screamed, because before she knew it, Yosef opened the door. He called for Leonie to bring his medical bag, towels, and a robe, and told Greta to prepare a bed. In a daze, Emma let Leonie undress and wash her, and tried not to understand what had happened. Leonie slid Emma's arms into a robe, tied it loosely at the waist, and led her to the guest room, where she held her hand as Yosef examined her. 
I'm sorry, Emma, Yosef said. You've had a miscarriage. What have I done? What have I done? The sound of her wailing echoed in her ears. Nothing, dear girl, Yosef said. It's not your fault. Sometimes these things happen early in a pregnancy. In time, you will have other children. Emma looked at him as if he were crazy. Teo was dead. Their baby was dead. There would be no others. My life is over, don't you understand? You mustn't upset yourself. Let me call your mother. No, no, don't tell her. Tomorrow you must see your gynecologist. But now, it is important for you to rest. I'm giving you something so you can sleep. Emma shook her head, afraid of what her mind would conjure if she closed her eyes. Images of Teo bleeding, screaming in pain, forsaken, of blood running down her legs, her baby's blood. She was so tired. She could not keep her eyes open. She must have slept after all, for it was growing dark when she heard Greta in the hallway saying the fighting in Vienna had stopped. And as it was not her nature to be subtle, Greta added, There have been so many casualties we may never know where Teo's body is. Emma tried to get up but felt so weak her legs almost folded under her. Leonie insisted she stay in bed. She needed to rest. Emma was grateful, for she feared her mother would say Teo had brought his death upon himself. She lay back against the pillows and felt herself sinking, as if into a cloud of feathers. When she awoke, it was morning, and her mother was sitting by the bed, her eyes red from crying. She kissed Emma and let her sob, as she cradled her in her arms. You will get through this, she said. Leonie has ordered a taxi so I can take you home. Greta and Sophie went home, and Yosef is at work. Come, let's get you dressed. I've brought you fresh clothes. Emma thanked Leonie, and they went downstairs. Her mother held her hand all the way home, but they did not speak, and Emma was grateful. Go lie down in my room, her mother said when they arrived home. Yosef has arranged for one of his colleagues to come and examine you. Emma stared at her. You know? Yes, now go lie down. He'll be here any minute. She settled Emma in her bed and tucked the blanket around her, as she had done when she was a child and ill. But now no doctor would make Emma well again. Her baby was gone. When he arrived only minutes later, he shook Emma's hand and then went to wash his, as if she'd contaminated him. You're right, Emma wanted to say. I ruin everything. When he returned, her mother left the room, leaving the door slightly ajar. The doctor opened his medical bag and removed gloves and a speculum. There can be complications after a miscarriage. Yosef thought it best to make sure there weren't any, he explained. Slowly, gently, he examined her, with the fingers of one hand inside her and the other hand pressing on her abdomen. Speaking in a soft, calming voice, he said, If a miscarriage is incomplete, it can lead to infection but I see no sign of that. As it was so early in your pregnancy, so that is good news. But there is one matter of concern. He pulled the sheet over her again, removed his glove, and wrapped the speculum in a cloth before replacing it in his bag, then sat down in the chair by her bed 
Sometimes a woman's uterus is not fully formed. This was probably the reason for your spontaneous abortion. Abortion? I didn't. I wouldn't. I know. It's a medical term. Forgive me if it sounded like a judgment. It was not. Sometimes, in the early stages of a pregnancy, when a uterus is not a normal size or shape, the pregnancy cannot develop and is halted. The medical term for that is aborted. Physically, you will quickly recover from this event. Your condition is not dangerous to your health. But, and I regret having to tell you this, it will prevent you from being able to have children in the future. I have no future, she said. He patted her hand but said nothing. What was there to say? Emma thanked him and her mother offered to pay, but he refused and mumbled something about friendship. When he left, Emma turned to her mother, and knowing she had listened through the open door, she said, I don't want to talk about it. Two days passed before she could make herself get out of bed. When she did, she found her mother had opened all the windows and let the cold air clear the smell of bleach from the apartment. Come, her mother said. Eat something and then we can work together. Keeping busy will help you. In the turmoil of those cold February days, no one ordered their laundry to be done. But there was still mending to finish, so they closed the windows and sat down to work. For more than a week, they sat side by side, barely a word between them. The silent repetition of their tasks, both a bond and a balm. A lesson to remember, Emma thought, now that Pandora's box had opened and the future no longer shone with happiness. Then, one morning, her mother returned from Frau Mandel's and said, I called the Grinbaums and told them you would be back to work tomorrow. Not yet, Mama, I can't. You have to, dear. The Grinbaums need you, and I can manage here. In the evening, we will help Father Johannes deliver parcels to all the poor people who were left homeless. They have nothing and need everything. The storm is over, Emma. Doing something for others will help you heal. Emma shook her head. Had the short-lived civil war been merely a storm? She might have weathered it by standing fast against its battering winds until the sun returned. But it had been more than a storm. It had ruptured the very foundation of her life, sucking her future into its abysses. Teo into one, her child into another, forever stolen from each other and from her. How could she ever heal from that? She did not return to her lessons in the Grimbaums' back room.